This is the one with wood nymphs. Tree spirits. Dryads. Anything's possible. It's called Knock Knock. Who's there? David Suchet. (laughs) 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 It's such a pity this isn't a video podcast. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zood, and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Hello, wonderful people of podcast land, and welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or podcast. This week we will be reviewing N135. Knock, knock. Who's there? (laughs) Oh, you're weak. You're so weak. And you couldn't resist. (laughs) And joining me today, you've already heard them both. We have the wonderful chap with the lovely red visage behind him. Oh, that's me, Mr. Stoicism, Drew McWen. (laughs) (laughs) And the chap to his left with a beautiful white background. Oh, that would be me. It's Leon. Hello. Hello, Marie. Hello, Drew McWen. Hello, Hello, Mr. Suggestible. Hello, Podcast Land. (laughs) And I am called Marie. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's um, all. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, Podcast Land. It's been Please a... don't forget to donate to our Patreon page. That would have earned 10, 20 pounds at least. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to knock, knock. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Hooray or honey. <laughs> What's so great or nay about knock, knock, Leon? Well, I mean, we are probably going to spend the next hour and a bit answering that question. But I mean, Poirot is in this, for starters. That's in the plus column, surely. This is your Derek Jacobi moment, isn't it? It absolutely is. (laughs) You started the podcast before you even knew David Suchet was going to be on the show. Oh my goodness, that's true. Did you just have faith that sooner or later he'd turn up? (laughs) They have to cast him. This is what the show has been working up to. Yeah, if he's not going to be the doctor himself, he's going to steal the show <laughs> yeah is i mean okay for, for you guys is there not a is there not a positive here is there not a like mm, score bananas i mean there's an established actor who's very competent yeah Marie. that's it <laughs> okay. about, about this whole episode yeah did you like this did you not like this yeah it was hella creepy i think it was okay mm-hmm. yeah. score score doobie 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 that's creepy oh <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you, Marie. I think this this episode is really well made. It is mega creepy and it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So shall we shall we find out what it's all about? What do you suggest? Perhaps a bee skull? Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who.
Unnoticed in the leafy suburbs of Bristol, a common family tragedy is unfolding as an ill mother has taken to her bed, seemingly beyond all medical help. Her doting young son stoically puts on a brave face while looking in the garden for objects that might amuse his beloved parent. The boy happens upon some peculiar insects, coiled up and looking for all the world like boiled sweets. Taking them to his suffering patient, she smiles and a small ray of light soothes his tortured mind, perhaps granting him a memory that will act as some small consolation later. But a miracle occurs. Oh, blessed day! The next morning her energy is restored, although her skin is a mite woodier than hitherto. Skip on 70 years and the boy is now a prosperous landlord who only needs to avoid the doctor spoiling his scheme. But just look who his new tenant is! Please go over! You are welcome, aren't you just? So, Leon, you seem to love this episode, and Marie, you're pretty taken with it too. Don't love this episode. You don't love this episode? No, I like this episode. Oh, right. I got told. Well, then we do disagree, Leon, for I love this episode. (gasps) Oh, my goodness! Shocking! (laughs) (laughs) I am so impressed. That is the exact inverse of what I expected to come from you. That is, oh, Podcast Land, give this man a BAFTA. Thank you, thank you. Wait, am I suddenly the the hater of of this trio? Oh, shit, bananas. No! (laughs) (laughs) You've switched places. I was told at the beginning of this episode that... I was sort of in the middle. Leon was going to build me up and make me score higher. And yeah. Drew was going to pull me down to the deck <laughs> <laughs> and make me hate it with him. And now everything's on its head. I don't know who to trust anymore. How about we get through some facts and then someone starts with a question. Knock Knock was written by Mike Bartlett. Who? I don't know. It was directed by Bill Anderson and it was first broadcast on the 6th of May, 2017. No! No way! Four years ago, to the night! Today! Wow! That is good timing. That's pretty cool. Is that where the facts end? That is the sum total of my facts, yes. Oh, right. I have a fact. <laughs> I have a fact about... Um, oh, let's hear it! The best friend. I've forgotten her name. Um, Shireen. Shireen. Lovely Shireen. I really liked her and I couldn't figure out why. It's not a she, fact. That's an opinion. This, I'm getting to my fact. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, um, Yeah, I was like, she doesn't do very much. Why do I warm to her so quickly? And it's because I know her from somewhere. And where I know her from is not Star Wars. But she is in fucking Star Wars. How cool is that? Really? Um, Yeah, apparently. Yes, in The Rise of Skywalker. I don't know who she plays. But I do know her from a show called Afterlife with David Brent. Oh, that's cool. I've not seen that yet. Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais, sorry. Marie, talk about misleads. I thought you were going to say, I know her from the most recent episode of Red Dwarf, The Promised Land, in <gasps> which she also appeared. Is she really? You are kidding. She played Sister Luna. Oh my goodness. I don't even know if I've seen that. <laughs> we'll get around to it. Oh. So you both need to watch Red Dwarf, is what we're saying yeah. now. Oh no, I'm in the Leon pile. <laughs> Oi! Oh. <laughs> For shame. I'll have you know there are lots of people who wish they were in this pile. <laughs> Any other facts, factoids, trivia, nuggets? Leon, surely you must have some David Suchet factoid to throw mm-hmm. our way. I do have a bit of trivia that's associated with David Suchet, which I'm yeah. sure everyone has also read. Who is David um, Suchet? 
David yeah, I've never Suchet. Heard of him. He is, first off, in my notes, he is just Poirot. <laughs> uh, I would like to point out that I watched this. The, the context in which I watched this was that, what, like two months ago or something, I finished all of Poirot. I watched every single bloody mystery. I all even 70 watched, episodes. I even watched the Peter Ustinov film adaptations, including the one that has David Suchet as a, like a different character. As non-Poirot, as anti-Poirot. As, as Noiro. The anti-Poirot. Yes, that's right. Is he that's the murderer? Right. No, no, oh. he's... Uh, I can't believe you haven't made a podcast about this. That seems like a waste uh, of... You've watched 70 episodes and, you know, where's the evidence? <laughs> Where, yeah. Where's the evidence? How are we to Jap, believe you? Inspector Jap is what I was trying to. Oh my goodness, I, I'm so ashamed of myself. Yeah, he played Inspector Jap uh, in one of the Ustinov movies. Uh, yeah, uh, no, there. I, I think between the three of us, we've probably watched seventy plus episodes of plenty of franchises and not dedicated entire podcasts and years of our lives to it. But thank you for bringing that up. I am planning on starting it. No, I'm not. Absolutely. <laughs> No, no other um, <laughs> oh wow, I really believed you then. <laughs> it's going to be the chap who played Hastings and me, and we're going to be <laughs> retracing the steps of <laughs> Poirot. Um, really? No, you're anyway, not going to get David Suchet on it. If you're not going to get him on it, I'm not going to listen. Stop daring me to start this podcast. <laughs> I'm uh, just saying, I'm... if you reach out to David Suchet, he might write back and make your life then you would have to make the podcast. He's such a chap. I bet he responds to all his fan mail. I would like to just sit down and have a chat with David Suchet and Paul McGann. Like, that's it. We we can basically just talk men's fashion for an hour and and then I'll just go and kill myself afterwards because it surely (laughs) can't get any better. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so that's David Suchet. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that sums up David Suchet perfectly. (laughs) Such valuable insights. Okay, so where do you guys want to start? Does anyone remember, this is a bit techie, does anyone remember that this was a very special Doctor Who episode, audio speaking? No. Okay, (laughs) so they recorded this, they called it binaural, in some sort of enhanced surround sound version that you can listen to through your headphones. You cannot Ah. access that version online anymore, but you can find a clip. I found this clip, and... If you listen to it, the scene where Bill and Shireen are outside Paul's door and he's pretended to be eaten and then he actually is eaten and the knocking is coming from all the different directions. Yeah. If you if you find this clip on the BBC, the knocking really is coming from behind you, where the camera is and from in front of you and everywhere. It is actually quite astounding. Oh my goodness. I, I I'm assuming that something. you climaxed. I knew there was something with that scene. I was watching it going, why have they done this? They're making the knocking come from every different room, but we, the audience, can't tell. And so the the, um, actors just have to look. Everyone look left. Everyone look right. And and that's your cue to where the knockings come from. But now it all makes sense. I mean... Cool. So basically surround sound is what you're saying. Would it be mad for you to try this now? Sure. I mean, it's only 42 seconds, but listen to it and it's amazing. That is freaking amazing. I was so worried. I thought it would make for better radio. I thought you'd be going, oh, well, I'm not sure. But you were being quiet because you were listening to it. Now I understand. I thought after 40 seconds you were going to be like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? No, that is absolutely incredible. I, I'm in no way surprised that, really that you cool. climaxed when you learned about this. Right? Uh, also, should add, just for a teeny tiny bit of context, in the script for Strange Readings, in 
numerous scenes penned by Drew, there are like very specific directions uh, to the effect of, and then this sound comes from the left, and then isolate this on the right, and then move this a little bit closer in the space, and then move this to the right, and then pan this across. Like, yeah, no, I get it. This is your fetish. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Marie, what did you think? That was amazing. That made me jump the first bang. And then, yeah, you, yeah, it just feels like it's all around you. So it makes that scene a lot better because I felt it, I felt it was a little bit flat when I just saw it on the TV without the surround sound. So, yeah. Great. Well, Leon, put the link on the actual page when you post it this weekend. Yep. And BBC, if you're listening, do this more often and put the full episode back online. We're sorry yeah. we didn't provide feedback four years ago, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> do they, is it throughout the whole episode then? So whenever there's the creature like upstairs that they can hear that someone thinks is a cat. Or I, mean, I can only assume. A cat. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. All right. Where to next? Okay, I'll ask a question. Finally. Right. I have multiple questions because, as I said, I really do enjoy this episode. I think it's an incredibly well-crafted episode, but there is tons in it that makes no sense to me. And I I will save the ones, the questions regarding things that make no sense until perhaps later. Maybe they'll come up organically. But in the meantime, here's a question. Those shitty houses that they look at in the beginning of this episode, are we meant to believe that they have underfloor heating? Oh, because the estate agent actually winks at Felicity when she asks for it. She says, can we have underfloor heating? And he goes, ka-ching, with his eye, (laughs) and then takes them there. What are your requirements? Underfloor heating. Here's a crack den. (laughs) (laughs) This place is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. This place is a nightmare having nightmares. But you know what? You can walk around barefoot and your footsies won't be cold. (laughs) All right, cool. And it's only warm under floor because there's a factory next door radiating so much heat (laughs) that you will never be cold again. In fact, your skin will eventually just sear off. Yeah, plus just friction from all the rats running around underneath the floorboards. Yeah, Yeah. and you scraping past each other in the narrowest corridors possible. I hope you don't Mm. mind intimacy. (laughs) Actually, what you're saying makes me think Felicity should have been a lot more claustrophobic in that first house, because she's super claustrophobic later on. Oh, that's right. Either one of you have any experiences like these houses or flats? Well, the first one reminds me of where our friends, the two Catherines, used to live on the Cowley Road, where their bath was where the cupboard under the stairs used to be. <laughs> Do you remember that? 10 Cowley Road. And they were down underground. Though. Marie must remember that. I, w- I did go there, but I don't remember the bath. But I had my first house in Oxford had the same, like a little bathroom built in under the stairs. And it was like the shower under the stairs and then the toilet in the lower bit, I think. Yeah, it's fine to have a toilet under the stairs, but a shower and a bath. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah, it was sense. the only bathroom and there was five of us lived in that house and you all had to go downstairs <laughs> to the tiny little cubby hole under the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And so you're lying in the bath trying to relax, shutting your eyes, and you hear ba-dum, 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 up and down constantly. I mean, if it's good yeah. enough for her. When Harry I moved Potter... to London, most of the. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's such a good point. The whole point is that's where he starts and he goes on to bigger and better things. He eventually moves out of London. Yeah, but these are also upstarts. These are, these are students. Yeah, and they're very demanding Who... students. They're like, I need extra room for my musical equipment, and I have all these hobbies, yeah. and I want this mansion, yeah. but I don't want to pay for it. Exactly. Yeah. Screw you, students. 
Uh, oh no, no, you've got to hate the estate agent in this situation, haven't you? He's he represents finders keepers. Yes, that's true. I was going to say when I moved to London, it, there were like, nine out of ten flats I looked at were about this level of shit or worse because I was looking on my own as opposed to with lots of other people who could share rent with me. Like London is a cesspool of of a, a dodgy letting agencies. <laughs> I feel like this is pretty valid. <laughs> Do you have any particularly horrific anecdotes? Well, I never chose any of the really horrible ones to live in, but I had friends who and colleagues who moved into possibly the first place they saw. I definitely was in places where I could see, not just hear, see mice scurrying across the... At one point, scurrying across the stairs, like every... Every step of the stairs, every now and then, it was like bingo. You would, if you walked around <laughs> across, maybe a mouse would hit your foot, or it would go, you know, right above or right below. You was like, wow, yeah. I don't really know how to follow that. <laughs> I've got more questions, though. Hey, <laughs> let's hear them. What happens to the space lice afterwards? Do they basically just leave these horrifically dangerous creatures there? And go. Well, we know that Eliza is in control of them. Does she have the power to make them immolate themselves, essentially? You know, can she press the self-destruct button using her mental link, her hold over them? Oh, I guess that must be what they're inferring. Because the, the house gets destroyed, does it? Yeah. They like, eat the whole house. Well, maybe they eat the wood. In Well, do they? I don't know what they do. Yeah, they go to great pains not to really show anything. You get the sense that, or I got the sense that, all the wood was sort of atomized and stripped, and without that supportive connective tissue, the rest of the house just fell, which didn't really make sense because there was a stone tower and a load of brickwork. <laughs> but, I mean, it was really very wooden, so, you know, why not? Was the house there before, and then they, like became the house i don't think so or did they expand was it just a normal sized maybe it was just a tower on its i think own this was a regular house built everything around it yeah just added more and more paneling <laughs> thicker and thicker <laughs> doors i mean we get to see the house there when um poirot is a child like he's yeah. in the garden of that house right so like i mean the house was always there I mean, they're wood lice of some description, so maybe they just absorb, slash, like, like they become one with the wood. We get to see them travel through wood and stuff. Like, there's clearly a relationship with wood. And the woman is made of wood. But they also yeah, travel and Capaldi through... says they interact at a cellular level with the wood. Total infestation. Total infestation. What was that, Marie? They also travel through... I forgot her name again. Shireen? Eliza. No. Oh, Shireen. No. Shireen. 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 They travel through her foot. Like, they do the same with her before oh, they that's true. her. Oh, that is gross, by the way. That yeah. is really gross. Oh, it's a great, <laughs> yeah. great little And the rubber of her soul. Yeah. They travel through the shoe. Exactly. So it's not just wood. It's not the wood. It's that they can travel through matter. Yeah. Like, what I'm implying is that Doc and six youths have just left, like, a Bermuda Triangle of danger somewhere in a prime location in London. Yeah. Bristol. Someone's going to... Sh- oh, sorry, Bristol. Bristol. Someone's going to show up and go, like, holy smokes, no one owns this property. Let's just do it up, rent it out. Great. You know, every room's... Uh, they'll probably install a bath under the stairs. <laughs> And then lots of people are going to move in and every single one of them is going to be turned into just nothing. Yeah, you pay the deposit up front plus the first two and a half months rent and that's a nice little earner. Where is the lie? (laughs) 
this we're talking is about like- estate agents and landlords, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> I mean, I've barely been a homeowner for two and a half years, and already I'm having to internally fight myself as I walk to the polling station in the elections that we were in today being like don't go blue restrain yourself interest your selfish <laughs> homeowning bastard <laughs> i hope you did too <laughs> i did i absolutely did but that shit is real and yeah. people our age are turning and they're turning <sighs> fast i always think the young people will never turn blue and, and eventually all the old people will die out and the young people will rule the world but they always turn at some point they get old and they turn yeah it's interesting that you bring up deposits because it would appear <laughs> I thought you were saying, because it would appear I've deposited all over my pants. <laughs> <laughs> the snack and poirot appeared. <laughs> In my notes, there's one all caps bullet point that just says David Suchet with three exclamation points, and then there are two that just say Poirot with exclamation points, and I don't know the context for them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what context do you need? You're just capturing a mood. But what I was going to say was, it seems as though Poirot made them pay a deposit. Yeah. Not just did he intend to feed them to his mum, but he also <laughs> made them pay a deposit. He's got to make That's a crazy living bananas. somehow, hasn't he? He doesn't do any other, you know, jobs. Um, I'm assuming he comes from money. I'm assuming he must come from money because otherwise, like, doing this once every 20 years is not enough. Well, I was just going to say, do you think he actually rents it out to regular tenants for the <laughs> other 20 years in between feedings? <laughs> It's an Airbnb for for <laughs> 19 years and 11 months, and then like, boom, it's a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Back to Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to lose that rating. <laughs> well, first of all, he's of a retirement age at this point, so I'm just, but then... But what's his has career? Has he ever had a job? I don't think... This is a full-time yeah, I don't think he's had a job. job. Yeah, you've got to look after those those woodlice. I get the feeling he's hardly left the house in 70 years. He talks about yeah. being a man of discretion. He's got all his language from books. He doesn't know who the Prime Minister is. Yeah. He has no Quite. idea what's happening outside of that house. Do you know, that's the thing. He was set up to be this big mystery. So, yeah, the whole, we don't know who the Prime Minister is. He appeared as if, but like magic, you didn't hear him coming, even though it's a really creaky house and you could hear everybody moving. Yeah. I really thought that he would be part of the alien aspect of it. And then he's oh, just a regular... Like a colony woodlouse situation. Yeah, something, I guess. <laughs> but it doesn't pan out at the end. He's like just a, rat a regular king guy. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. A louse king. <laughs> <laughs> Deposit! Because <laughs> that would make more sense, because then he wouldn't need to eat. So he wouldn't need, like, what does he need to spend money on? Yeah, it's true. There's no heating in I'm the I'm sure house. he's got a kitchen garden around the back. Grows everything he needs. Got little radishes out there, some onions. Oh, beautiful. Got cellars full of provisions. That's a huge house he's in. It is massive. It is the massive. possibilities are endless. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's true. And he, I mean, evidently he does move outside of the house. I mean, he's wearing clothes that don't fit a child. Yeah. So at some point he, oh, unless he's wearing like a, a parent's clothes. Could do. Yeah. Where's, where's his dad? He doesn't seem too beaten up about his dad not being there. He can't bear his mum 
possibly leaving, but his, his, his dad, well, I was fine with that from the beginning. Maybe his dad was gone before the mum took ill. Well, maybe... And that would then also really clarify why he needed his, like, his guardian to be around. Or Sorry, maybe, Marie, what was maybe that? Sorry. he fed the dad to the woodlice in the beginning, because you're right, he wouldn't be, there's, there's no way he would be on his own. Like, she had doctors, and yes, they sort of said, okay, we hold our hands up, there's nothing more we can do, but there would still be people checking up on her, there would be people that would know if she had died or not, and would have to step in and look after the child. And the fact that yeah. they don't, he's just on his own, maybe just anyone that came to the house and saw that she was now wooden and freaked out, they just immediately got fed to the woodlice. Uh, see, that would explain, that was a question I had. What happened when there was no funeral and no one heard from the mother anymore, but they went straight into the walls? Yeah, but then who doesn't, mm, yeah, you must- know, the doctor calls on this house and then never comes home again. <laughs> like, at some point, this is never-ending trail of people going to the house and not and not leaving wouldn't somebody know well being a doctor in the 40s is is a very depressing profession Uh, and child protective services basically non-existent like no one's knocking on this door and going so we we heard that your mum might be haunted by woodlice or is maybe just not around anymore maybe you should go to school like did this kid go to school probably not no i i don't think so i i think he got all like i said all his language from the books yeah he talks in a sort of very formal stilted way that is true Oh, Poirot, you are the best. Oh my goodness. He was David the best. Suchet. What did you think when it when it the big reveal that he was a child like he was the son instead of the oh, father. It, and he turned and he was this suddenly this small boy, this like child yeah, voice coming out of the, this man. I I know, mm. please give this man a BAFTA as well and possibly a Pulitzer just because. Like there, <laughs> there are <laughs> Why not? No one's been anything are, good in the last year. <laughs> can be give him a grammy give him an oscar give him everything (laughs) he could release this little child's voice coming from an old man as a spoken word album instant grammy (laughs) yeah he uh, he (laughs) i mean i don't know if it works as just an audio medium but (laughs) listening to it binaurally it would (laughs) yes yes i was gonna say exactly well done He just suddenly assumes this very childlike naivete in in two scenes, I think. One where he kind of explains how his, quote, daughter took ill and he had to protect her and so on and so forth. And then the second time when he is outed as her son and he automatically regresses to fit that that dynamic with her. It's fantastic. Yes. Dang right. You know what? Here's my biggest beef with this episode. Oh, it was going so well. Oh, no. I know. I, I was going to pile in and say all sorts of things, but let's hear it. Okay, okay, fine. Say your things and then I will say say my negative. Okay, so <laughs> I cry every time I watch this episode. Oh. When David Suchet goes all little boy and says, forgive me, and then repeats it. He has me in floods of tears every single time. 2017, I've watched it since because I remembered liking it. Happened then, happened a few nights ago. Just barely didn't happen an hour ago when I watched it for the fourth or fifth time. Oh my goodness. still liked it. Wow. I watched it once in preparation for tonight's recording, and that was only the second time in my life that I've seen this. And that was, like, most of it was tonight. (laughs) Yeah. But we know who's more so dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I don't. I mean, I watched some episodes twice before podcasting, but this was purely just because 
why not? Because we do yeah. this thing and then we move on and there isn't going to be another episode as good as this for at least seven episodes. When he says, if you could save the one who brought you into the world, I mean, there's a whole backstory that I'm not going to go into here, but it's just like, oh, David, I am right there with you. My goodness. Um, and then I, then I start to side with him against the Doctor and Bill, and it all gets very complicated. But Leon, bring me back oh, I never, from the dark oh, really? side. No, let's no, carry really. on with the grip stuff. <laughs> um, and then right at the end as well, when they when she has to make the decision to, you just can't keep killing people. I know you're doing it for like these pure reasons and the sort of reasons of a 10-year-old because he's never got to mature to adulthood. He's not around other adults, yeah. so he doesn't, you know, logically think like that. And she just hugs him and they just have this moment where they're finally like having this beautiful embrace and then just dissolve into nothing. And it's so, so tragic. And it is like... Yeah, I mean, he spent most of his... Oh, sorry, go for it. Sorry. Like, he's not the bad guy. He's not the evil landlord that we, you know, he's been portrayed as. He is just this sweet, vulnerable child who... He's a child, yeah. yeah and you can't hold a child culpable for this kind... Well, I mean, you can, and I think you probably ought to, but <laughs> but maybe not on an intellectual level, yeah. because he never really developed past that point. Plus, he's basically spent his entire life, most of his life, living this lie in just the worst possible way. I mean, you, you hear about people who, and it's not at all uncommon, people who have kids when they're incredibly young, and then their parents raise the kids as theirs, mm. and they sort of grow up living as, as the siblings. Like, officially, they are the siblings of their own biological offspring. Not at all uncommon, and I'm sure incredibly traumatic for everyone involved. And this takes that scenario and just amplifies it cranks it up to 11 it's quite something and then the idea as well that they're just alone the whole time like i think it's really important that you picked up on the language drew and that he's we he, he probably hasn't gone to school he's probably he's read every book in that massive library and that's where yeah. he's learned to be an adult from um but yeah the sort of isolation and like fear of the outside world and all that is bubbling away as well he's not just a regular 10 year old he's a 10 year old that's like just magnified and just become this yeah thing that's uncontrollable and has but has also had to learn to be quite manipulative i guess to to get the mother to believe that she's actually the daughter and to get her to go along with this plan like i wonder if at, at any point she tried to say no like like now they're saying that she doesn't you know the memory's gone and she believes that he's the father but back when she was where, still sort of yeah where was the turning human. point yeah yeah she was there a time in the middle where she was like you're my husband right my <laughs> husband's come back to me hooray Aww. and it got very oedipal and awkward and he had to back out of the room very carefully <laughs> i really hope not <laughs> maybe brother <laughs> <laughs> yes, that'll be it. <laughs> there we go. Keep his curiosities at bay. Mm. Uh, yeah, the uh, <laughs> it's a really complex relationship that those two characters have. It's incredibly complex and it's very, very interesting. Mm. Uh, okay, here's my negative. There's a part of me that feels that this is a waste of David Suchet. <gasps> Because wow. David Suchet is incredible. But and every single mo Pulitzer yeah. worthy. Give him all the awards. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Give the man a Grammy. I mean, as an actor in general, he's fantastic. As as a person, he's he's incredibly pleasant. He's uh, from what I've seen on interviews. Yeah, I don't know. From all the man. daydreams I've had. <laughs> yeah. Perfect right. gentleman. And in this episode, every moment that he spends on screen, he he's terrific. But I want 
more of him. He's he's so good. I just want even more David Suchet. I mean, this basically means we're not going to get David Suchet in Doctor Who anymore because he's already had his, you know, his appearance. And that's what they said about Peter Capaldi. That's okay. That's true. Yeah, but I mean, in general, like I, I would have wanted David Suchet in an episode that isn't necessarily quite so reliant on special effects or quite so reliant on on silent, quiet ambiance. I think he's so good at delivering dialogue that I, I want him in a dialogue-heavy serial. You know, it's sorry, episode. Right. And dude, it, I, it's, I my my negative is basically oh. this is so good. I want even more of it. <laughs> How dare this episode not be a double feature? The thing I said at the top about this is your version of Derek Jacobi. Yeah. You remember Derek Jacobi got to be the master in TV Doctor Who at least for all yeah. of 90 seconds. <laughs> and my my biggest negative with that episode was give him a series, give him his own show and now he does yeah. have big finish audios that he's appearing in and that's fantastic. All I'm saying is I'm right there with you buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I'm I'm so glad. <laughs> Thank you. But I do I do think that that comes that's a very particular thing from being a David Suchet fan and I think as a I've never really watched a lot of Poirot. Like my parents watched it when I was growing up so it was kind of always on in the background but I've never really sat and watched it myself. I I thought he was fantastic and I don't think I needed more of him. I think the scenes that he was in he did steal but if if yeah. it had just been like him without the the creepiness and the silence and the like empty space and everything else that you've talked about, would it have, would it have been as powerful? Like it would have to just be a completely different story to yeah, make it. It would have it... unbalanced the episode. It, exactly. We'd have been saying, oh, but yeah. they didn't have this, 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 and this because there was all that David Suchet and that was great, but just go and see him deliver a monologue in the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> But I guess if mm. I guess the character that they put him in, there's no possibility of him returning. Like sometimes we have a villain who kind of gets away, and you think, oh, maybe one day we'll see him in the future, and that's not doesn't feel like the case here. Yeah, he's not coming wait, back. Wait. No, no, exactly. Oh, <sighs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> but the the rule is leave him wanting more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mission accomplished. If you're not unhappy with a single second of him on screen, then there isn't really anything to complain about. Yeah. Okay, so we've done David Suchet. We've talked about Poirot. We've talked about the mother-son slash daughter-father relationship. But we haven't really talked about the Doctor or Bill. Who wants Who wants to start us off on Bill and Doc? Marie does. Yeah, Marie does. She wants um, to talk about her favourite companion there. Yeah, she loves Bill. No, Bill's oh, not Bill, my favourite. So Don't put words in my mouth. Yeah, I know Clara. I said Forget Clara. I love oh, Bill. No, no Clara, you're such a wannabe. If only Bill you're and Clara such a wannabe. were in the same episode, that would be great. Um, <laughs> oh my god, too, too, much, too much pleasure. Too much joy. I don't know why Bill was living with a bunch of students when she's not a student. And why did someone just randomly knock oh, on yeah. her door with like five other guys and was like, do you want to come live with us? And then the same day they were in the, they were moving into a house and she didn't know anyone. It's like, how, like, wh- how has this come about? Because she is of a roughly similar age to these students and we've met the woman whose roof she was living under and none of us liked her. We're like, Bill, get out of there as quickly as you can. And this is what she's Absolutely. doing. And she knows Shireen. And Shireen knows these other four. And 
when you're that young and your life's plastic and fluid, you just go with it and it happens and suddenly you're living somewhere else and you're like, this is great or this is crap. And on you go down the rapids, down the cataract of youth. I did. Um... <laughs> the cataract of youth? <laughs> yeah. I did like the moving in scene with like the doctor coming and picking up all the stuff in the TARDIS and she was like, oh, you should do a delivery service. That was quite cute. And then also the when she moves into her room and the first thing she does is pull out a picture of her mom and like show the mum around the room and go, look, mom, this is where I live now. And that was super, super sweet. And it linked back to what we'd seen previously with the doctor because he was the one who took all the photos of the mother but then also then links through the episode because at that point we didn't know that it was about a mother-son relationship but it just oh yeah pulled everything through so that when he was talking when he said that line that you just referenced drew about like letting go of the one who brought you into the world and it pans to bill and we know that she is feeling exactly what he's feeling because she's been through it as well so it was a really this such a little nod that kind of pulled the threads through three different episodes no two episodes at least but yeah I really liked that. Also, the contrast between how incredibly happy she is to have Doc help her transport stuff there and how unhappy she is that Doc lingers. There's also, I think, a reference to a child-parent relationship of like, no, dad, don't like follow me to school. Like, I don't want my friends to see me with my parents, that kind of situation. Absolutely. Definitely. And the doctor totally leans into as well the like parent role because he's going around listing what's wrong with the apartment going, there's no heating, there's no washing machine, the electric sockets aren't up to code. Like, this is what parents do. Every time I've moved into a place, that's exactly what my mom does like, oh really mom it's fine leave <laughs> awesome. me yeah she we went moved into one place and she started cleaning the kitchen because she thought it wasn't a fit state to live in and i was like it's embarrassing mom <laughs> but you know that's when you're a student <laughs> and you've normally had to like borrow you know a parent or someone's car to move your stuff because you don't have a car and then they're used to their homeowners like you drew and they have better standards than uh, students <laughs> Oh, that's that's not how it works. The the estate agent tells you it's been cleaned and it hasn't. And then when you come to leave, you get it cleaned professionally and they still being they still finders take it keepers out of, take yeah. the money out and pay for their own cleaner to make it dirty again so the next <laughs> set of parents finders, can be finders unhappy. keepers in Oxford, I shit you not, after the do you guys remember the flat that I lived in before I moved into this house? Find that was with finders keepers. Yeah. And when I moved out, I shit you not, finders keepers had a the the, the woman ca- who came around to look at the flat, she had a like white piece of fabric and wiped the top of a door the front door in fact and because it was dirty she insisted that that was going to go out of my uh, uh, my deposit yeah because the next tenants were planning to eat off that <laughs> oh of course yeah 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 they were bats like, they hung from in, the there was ceiling like fucking cobwebs everywhere are you shitting me and I, I still ended up having to pay them but yeah yeah that is standard Fuck finders keepers Fuck finders keepers that- indeed that's the one-line summary of this episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> Fuck finders keepers. <laughs> the worst, the worst letting agency in Oxfordshire, maybe the world. <laughs> the world. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a strategy that they've actually borrowed from the 
in my experience, the RAF. I went on a cadet camp one week at school and I was paired with this guy. We were in a room and they were like, okay, clean the room. And we looked around and we thought it was pretty clean, but we made everything orderly and neat. And then the guy comes in and I can't remember whether it was the top of the door in exactly the same way or perhaps down behind the radiator, but he knew where the dust would be. He had the experience and he was like, this room is in a filthy state. And yeah. It's bullshit and it's domineering and fuck finders keepers. Yeah, finders keepers, a combination of RAF and Shawshank prison. Fuck finders keepers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, back to this episode. (laughs) Where were we before we started piling on finders keepers like they deserve? (laughs) <laughs> oh dad you're so embarrassing this was one, oh that's right this was one of the very few things in which i thought the episode could have one of the very few ways in which i thought the episode could have been better balanced i thought bill harped on about getting the doctor out of the way just a bit too much at the expense of a few precious seconds of screen time where she could have been genuinely worried about her housemates being in peril and then maybe i'd have cared a bit more about the sudden deaths of all the housemates <laughs> And also, like, the idea that she was really embarrassed by him and she was introducing him as her grandfather, they, most of them kind of went, oh, it's the Doctor, because they go to that university and they've been to his lectures because they're legendary and everybody goes to yes, his lectures. Right. So yeah, Harry she's is made the this weird lie. Fan. Yeah, so now she's got to keep this pretense up that somehow they're related and, you know, dig herself into this bigger hole, whereas she could have just said, yeah, I don't know, he's a family friend or, you know, left it vague. Yeah, or just gone, yeah, this this is, you know, the the doctor, the professor, all of you guys know. Yeah, and look how cool he is, and he's hanging out with me, that's really cool, and like got some brownie points from it. Ex- yes, exactly. Yeah, because they don't know it. None of them know her, so it makes her cooler if he's like hanging around with her. Yeah, she is awesome by association. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; she plays it completely believably, and at that stage in your life, you are prone to making those mistakes and going too far in that way. But I thought a better authorial choice would have been give the other guys just a bit more make bill not want their approval so much as actually listen to the doctor when he's saying you should go up and check on pavel he's been listening to the same five seconds of music for 36 hours yeah. and she's like no really my first priority is getting you out of here as quickly as possible pavel can suck it pavel can suck a fat wood louse within about a minute of listening to that thing on loop for Paul, like it's clearly just a like, record hey, Paul, are you player okay? that's stuck. Like, yeah, it's, you would go and knock on the door and find out what's yeah. going on. You're not going to do this like... for an entire fucking year, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything further away that you couldn't have it? I would a million percent assume that that uh, once my new housemates and I invariably knock down that door, we would find Pavel hanging from the rafters. Like, th- there is no <laughs> yeah. way he is still alive in that room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is the soundtrack of suicide right there. Absolutely. <laughs> Who thinks that's okay? <laughs> Oh, okay. While we're on Pavel. Okay. Yeah. The music was keeping him alive. 
He was halfway, when we found him, he was halfway out of the wall and then Suchet turned the music off and then he got completely absorbed. Yeah, Hmm. makes sense to me. Pavel is a superstar DJ and his life is all about the music. And so he he feels a bond with the music and the music is what drives him. It's his life force, his essence. And once that's taken away, he's got nothing to live for. Well, towards the end, we also have that scene with the, um, uh, the music box. And when Doc opens the music box, the lice emerge from out of the wood. And the second he closes it, they disappear into the wood again. Oh, so you think that the music was just keeping the lice at like surface level? I, I think that like, coincidentally, that one part of the song uh, at which the LP gets stuck, I think that's at exactly the right pitch or the right frequency for them to want to emerge. Mm. And as opposed to sink back into the wood. Uh, right, it keeps them lulled and distracted rather than finishing their meal. Mm. Yeah, possibly. This I... is like really horrible for poor Pavel who's been stuck in like <laughs> some sort of horrible wooden limbo. Just like, oh, kill me. I can't even say kill me because like his mouth has been absorbed. Oh, he has to blink it in more code. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to literally no one. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, I'm going to come on to what I think is an even better effect, but that's pretty horrible and pretty well done, right? That is an incredibly well done. I, I maintain every part of this uh, episode is well made. Yeah, that was going to be Production part value of my, out through the room. That was going to be, roof. I'm going to read out a sentence from my rating because you just prefigured it absolutely perfectly um you can stop the episode anywhere and every moment is quality sometimes top quality at the very least pretty good yeah shit yeah so shall i come on to the next thing do it eliza the wooden woman i can't tell whether she is wearing a mask or whether that's cgi and if i can't tell whether it's one or the other surely they've achieved exactly what they were going for whichever one they went with right i think it's a combination of the two but i think it's largely practical and it's incredibly well made Mm-mm. super duper well done i like her really like the hair coming out of it that's really real but like really yes. wispy like oh she's such a creepy like woman in the attic type um like God, figure from a horror throw film. up on my own dick that is so good it's <laughs> incredible yeah i know exactly what you mean the hair is like ugh. sorry i just cut you off there by talking about my dick it, it, it's, it's it's so freaking good i know exactly oh sorry you're still it, talking about your dick <laughs> yeah. no talking about different wood very very good stuff sorry marie sorry and Go then and when she comes out as well as well like from but you just hear her moving around behind the panel and then you just get these fingers like clawing around and then she like pulls herself back it's really like yeah yeah and just the 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 ignorance behind some of her statements like what what's wrong like what are you looking at what do you mean or whatever it is (laughs) like yeah, you're a you're a wooden person. That's not normal. <laughs> Maybe you don't understand this. You're a monster. <laughs> I did. I did think you have to give props to Shireen. I think she handled it better than I would have done. <laughs> Giving absolutely yeah, no. I'm a celebrity. Warning. Get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's why I made that reference earlier. Didn't even realize. <laughs> so Shireen is one of multiple people who get eaten by the uh, the lice. Yeah. She's also the first person to be reconstituted. Her what? Yes. Well this is, so this is why I was bringing up Pavel because it was I thought it was a link between like the music was his passion and therefore that was what was keeping him around and this kind of link with okay. you know maybe once the 
kind of cognitive link goes, then you can be absorbed completely. But then you brought up the thing about the, maybe it's actually the lice that are linked with the music. So that doesn't track. But yeah, so... I don't think they're linked to music. I think they're just like, well, I think the, they even the say there are certain frequencies yeah. of... Yeah, exactly. There are certain sound frequencies that, that they react to. This is why he has the, what's it called? The tuning fork? Is yeah. that what it's called? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but exactly. So that's the, the music that's playing is linked to that more than it being linked specifically to Pavel. So when yeah. they, they basically all just disintegrate, but somewhere their minds are in the wall, but not their physical bodies... And then the bodies are recreated. But if you can recreate a body because the mind's been alive in the wall, then why can't all the other bodies from 20 years yes. ago be brought back Thank as well? Thank you. Yeah. This is another one of my introductory there's questions. Al- there's Thank already you. people in the walls. Like he's talk- like almost talking to people in the walls. You see him on his yeah, own. One of them is called Christy, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly. So those. Oh, really? Oh, I missed this. There are yes. basically people's consciousnesses in the walls still there but they don't get brought back yeah that that seems incongruous to me so so i mean what i don't buy is that anyone can be reconstituted yeah like that anyone can be brought back i don't buy that at all it's a simple reversal of a process if you can do it one way you can do it the other way oh yeah no that's true so when you eat something and you poop it out but if you shove it back into your butt then you throw up food that's not how it works (laughs) okay (laughs) <laughs> and that's basically what these woodlice are doing. Don't that try is this not at home. how it works. <laughs> no, do try this at home and then write to us and tell us how it went. <laughs> I am curious. I am super curious. I There's a whole mistake. South Park episode about this. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Damn yeah. it. South Park did it. South Park did it. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice meta reference. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about I, the catabolic and anabolic capabilities of these woodlice. They're aliens. I'm sure they can handle it. They've been on transporter pads. They're just doing the reconstitution thing in the same place. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't buy it. Like that. That part I feel is. Oh wait, no. We can't make the episode too dark. We need to find some sort of non-excuse to reconstitute all the characters that the audience may have related to. They haven't related to any of the previous people to whom the exact same logic should apply, so let's not reconstitute yeah. them. Let's edit out but their screams recon- when they are engulfed by the falling masonry. Yeah. Just what I want to see, yeah, what I want to see is a, like, oh shit, I encountered a monster uh, whom the doctor faced reunion of people. So I want, like, the slab, the like, the pavement slab from <laughs> Love and Monsters, and I want someone who was eaten by this like this uh, lice king and then or louse king and then uh, whatever they, they meet up oh wait oh were you absorbed by lice oh fucking lucky for you i was absorbed by the absorbalof and now my life is i'm a blowjob machine attached to a paving slab great seems a little unfair or are you suggesting that the previous tenants of this house are stuck on planks somewhere inside this house as like in the ruins of this house yeah exactly their consciousnesses are still there somewhere so i reckon the previous tenants because their energy needs to pass into eliza to keep her alive eventually that just dissipates and the memory is too scattered. There isn't enough, maybe there isn't enough life force to restore all these people because over the last 70 years, she's used exactly that amount up. That's why he's got these new tenants in because the store was running low. So what about Christy, man? Christy's done for. 
Sorry, she got consumed in the late 90s. Oh, sucks to be you, Christy. I got a question for you, Leon. Oh, oh okay, sure. Recall, if you will, your Dungeons & Dragons character. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> a dendrophile. Yes, correct. How did you feel watching this episode as an occasional dendrophile? And can you explain <laughs> to Podcast Land what this dendrophile is and does? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I joined a Dungeons & Dragons campaign during lockdown, and I play a... Uh, for those of you in podcast... I'm assuming there's a fair amount of overlap between uh, Podcast Land and D&D aficionados. First time I've ever played D&D, but my character is a lightfoot halfling rogue named um, Bartholomew Rockefeller III, and um, he is also, among other things, he is a dendrophile, meaning he uh, has a... Let's call it a romantic uh, affiliation with trees, meaning if in I'm ever in a forest. Affiliation. <laughs> <laughs> meaning if I'm in a forest and uh, we're hiding from uh, marauding orcs, as I am pressed up against a tree, I will happily use my entire turn to inspect the tree for openings. The um, <laughs> This had no bearing on my enjoyment of this episode. If anything, I can see how it might uh, heighten it. Uh, but, but no, I thought this episode was so good and the acting was so good that you merely like it. Well, for the love of Pete, the, the, the... Sorry to use your own words against you. No one's ever yeah, done that I'm, in human history before. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, fine. I yeah, yeah, I really like this episode. I think it's a great episode. Hey, I think that's what I want to hear. Well, okay, there you have it. There you have it. You can't tell because the camera's probably panning. I can't tell how much... I can't see how much of my camera you can see. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, you can't see that I've unzipped ages ago. It, I, I like this episode. <laughs> I just wish there were more David Suchet. That's like... That's my really my only beef <laughs> why isn't there more of this yeah cool slash why does lots of it not make any sense but that's fine that's fine i can live with that we're addressing those bit by bit yeah exactly and you know what i'm coming to the conclusion that i can live with that <laughs> if it means looking at david suchet's super expressive sweet yet hateful yet yeah his engaging. act 3o face yeah i'm yeah. on board <laughs> Okay, uh, I I have a question that might set us off on a conversation. But if if uh, if either one of you has a particular thing they want to move on to, I am happy to postpone it. Oh, I'm good, Marie. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, what's your question? Okay, why would the lice do this? <laughs> <laughs> oh. My question is basically why. Like, it, it, was it just a means for Poirot to? furnish no puns pun intended uh them with fresh meat like is, is that what this is or i mean why well they're bugs why the question is why do they consume everybody else but d restore the mother like yes if they just exactly. eat people and turn people into wood then that's one thing and they just do that but why did they tr like keep this one alive in the first place? I mean, it's something to do with the music box, isn't it? That, as we have uh... already discussed, sort of diminishes how lethal they are. I mean, but she doesn't have the music box playing all night long. No, because yeah, it's closed <laughs> when they walk into the room. Like she oh, would okay. have to have well, it right now I... on constantly when he was a child. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, when was a kid. That first night, yes, but at some point they turn the music box off, and literally, as so like when we go back to Pavel, as soon as the music stopped, he just got devoured. 
So yep, why didn't true, he? Yeah, true. As soon as they turned the music box off, why wasn't she just eaten? Oh, shit bananas. That is such a good point. Yeah, why is she still around? I think it's because they've been outside and it's the 40s, very cold, and they want a, a gentler habitat. They've come to Earth, I don't know how, probably in some vessel that is languishing in the Torchwood Institute, and they're just looking for a home. They've they've been nomads among the stars, and they're just like, I want a roof over my head. Where will offer me shelter? Where can I find a port in a storm? And uh, this nice musical bedroom um, did. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we were to kill her, they'd get the exterminators in. So let's let's chill, guys. Let's let's make friends. So how intelligent do you guys think these creatures are? That was I was just going to ask the same thing. Do you think that they're sentient and oh, that they've they've formed a relationship with um Poirot as a boy and they know that he wants to keep this woman alive and therefore they're doing what he wants? Yeah, are they more than just cockroaches? Well, I mean, last week we were taught the dangers of assuming that a giant fish isn't sentient. I mean, after having watched three episodes with the same speciesist moral, I've, I've got to start learning at some point. So, yeah, I'm going to give these cockroach, dryad, wood nymph, sprite, louse dudes the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, we see the tragic death of hundreds, if not thousands of triads. Yeah, true. Mm, Do we? Yeah, I didn't think, yeah. it, didn't think of it mm. that way. Oof. That's yeah, yikes. Yikes, bananas. <laughs> it's fine. They were murdering bastards. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Either they're just an infestation and it's okay to kill them all, or they are sentient and you've just committed genocide. Like Very possibly. There are space bug eggs all over the planet and on other planets even. Wait, how did they even get here? I think the silence brought them here because they eat those insects. And Tell you know what? Life. Again, why, this is the same as last week. Why do they have to be fed humans? Like the whale last week, they were putting humans in the water and we said yes. just feed them the bloody elephant or whatever's lying around. These are tiny. Why can't they feed on rats right. or, you know, other Jesus. kind of yes, exactly. chickens, <laughs> whatever we've got plenty of? Yeah, it, it, Poirot, you have tons of money because you come from it. Uh, just go to Sainsbury's and buy a bunch of steaks. <laughs> Get the Sainsbury's <laughs> taste the difference ribeye and just bring them back to your weird mother daughter. Like it, it's fine. And plus, they only need feeding six humans every twenty years. It's not a large every amount of food. You could he could get a little dairy farm, and when the cows are too old to give milk anymore, feed them to the critters. Yeah, it's like the equivalent of maybe adopting, let's say, twenty five to twenty seven hamsters a decade. Yeah, like. Just do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how big your hamsters are, but <laughs> no one likes hamsters. <laughs> they don't really—they don't live very long, anyway. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, that is true. Maybe it's like a weird intellectual potential kind no, of thing. No, I, I'll tell you what's happened, or, or what should have happened. No uh -huh. one's seen the giant Thames fish for a while. Maybe it swam up the Bristol Channel by mistake. Thought, uh, let's see what's going on in the west of England. And David Suchet said, "Oh yeah, come, come to my." Uh, pool in the back garden and that fed his mother <laughs> for 50,000 years yeah oh, or wait hang on she's just after energy just give her one of the Thames fish turds yeah exactly. like, give her one of those yeah. turd bricks <laughs> yeah this will this will sort you out just shit in her mouth and I'll let you go <laughs> 
Can I watch, please? Can I please watch? <laughs> Deposit. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think we answered that, whatever that was. I can't remember what the question was, but I'm I'm on board. <laughs> who's Mike Bartlett was my original question. Wait, who's Mike Bartlett? He wrote this episode, damn it. Oh, right, yeah. Has he written anything else? Well, he hasn't written any other Doctor Who episodes. He wrote Doctor Foster in 2015, which his Wikipedia page made seem like a really big thing. He In 2020, okay. he wrote Life, which starred a certain Mr. Peter Davison. Oh. Okay. Uh, and otherwise, he tends to write for the theatre, mostly, which I wouldn't have guessed, because, I mean, I know overwriting isn't synonymous with the theatre, but this screen, this screenplay lacked the sort of theatrical, aphoristic declamation you might expect from a play. It didn't seem like a play. It seemed like a, an episode of telly. I don't know, though, because it's all in one, like, locale. You could easily put this on stage and just move things around to make different rooms in the same house. Oh. Dang, right. Nice. David Suchet, take Excellent. it on top, please. <laughs> <laughs> in a creaky wooden theatre in every town that you visit, yeah. please. And you could do the surround sound. You could have the bangs coming from behind you in the theatre. Yeah, exactly. Just have people ASMRing you from every angle. Sweet Christmas. And extend it to two hours and give David Suchet an hour long soliloquy. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's all I need. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> please, BBC, please. I'm so close. Like, I'm so close. Just, Just give me the this one thing. Cut, please. <laughs> Like I'm being edged to death over here by the <laughs> lack of David Suchet. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I don't know what that means. Funny sounding, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. <laughs> we get another glimpse at the uh, the vault. Is that what it's referred to as? Yeah. The the uh, cell beneath Bristol University. <gasps> Yes. That is, I love that. I love that the second he says a lot of young people get eaten, the music gets very jovial. That's a a wonderful note. Can you, can you remember who's in the cell? Yes, absolutely. I I totally forgot. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, do you know? Do you know now? No, I don't know. No, don't tell her. Don't tell (gasps) her. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 let's not, let's not, let's not. You're in for a treat. Yeah. Yes, well, you are. I, I can't it's believe. David Suchet. <laughs> <laughs> Deposit. That's that. That's my O face. <laughs> that's my Poirot face. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> the chamber. The the ending. Because up until this yes, point. Yes, yes. I've been very blasé about what's in the chamber. I was like, oh, I'm sure there's yeah. something in there. We'll find out. I couldn't care less. And then suddenly this episode, I was like, oh, I need to know who's in there. Um, and so my theories currently are, it's either a different version of the doctor from the future okay. or past or wherever. And he's been put in jail. And that's, and I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I remember um, thinking this during the initial broadcast. Area. Yeah, well, that was one of now, the theories going around. Now you've just told okay. me that it's not true, though, Drew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Drew, yeah. poker face, poker face, okay, poker face. Poker face. Yeah, poker face. No, I actually hate this episode. I, what other theories? <laughs> but I wondered whether that was, I'd remembered that from the first time around, and that's a bad theory. And then, then I thought it might be River, and then I thought that might be just a hopeful thing. 
because I want it mm-hmm. to be a river. And now I think it must be the master because of the Pop Goes the Weasel thing. Because who else is evil enough to mm-hmm. gleefully celebrate that six youngsters have been eaten alive? So I, I would argue anyone who's been locked in a cell for a long time. Well, true. Yeah. 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 Davros isn't known for his young of, uh, love of the ute. No, but is he also <laughs> known for his piano skills? <laughs> I mean, he's yeah, got those claws, long, thin fingers. <laughs> True. He can play the opening True. to Bridge of, Over Troubled Water, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited oh, that something's going to happen with that. It's, it's the silence. Who but the silence can play the pianos with their huge fingers? Ooh. Or maybe it's that oh. guy from Jodie Whittaker where times where the, where the fingers go and float away and they're just dancing on the keys completely detached from him. <laughs> that would be creepy. <laughs> so many options, Marie. Don't restrict yourself to just one. Any one of those things. <laughs> but it, it, this is the best vault scene so far, by miles. Yeah, definitely. I'm assuming in the next episode we find out who's in there. No, wait, maybe not. I think it's at the beginning of Extremists. Uh, it's not at the end of the next one i don't know i could be wrong like hey check this out yeah don't stop watching the show yet (laughs) oh i see what you mean yeah we're gonna give away all the secrets please if you watch next week then we'll give you all the secrets for the week after that episode exactly yeah oh oh holy moly and cheesecakes oh look i'm really looking forward to the next few episodes i mean looking forward to uh, almost all of the ensuing episodes, but yeah, certainly in the next few. Yeah. But this vault chamber scene, when <laughs> Nardole says, see, you don't have to leave, plenty of things want to kill you right here on Earth, and the Doctor says, result. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, brilliant. It's so good. <laughs> here are some more good lines. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go hang out with Simon, Harry, and Florence, Felicity. Uh, yeah, why? Well, we're going we're gonna to chill, Yeah. <laughs> I love how excited yeah. they were just to chill with her granddad as well. They were like, yeah, cool. Let's put a little mix on. This will be great. <laughs> <laughs> also, reminds me of Quincy Jones. I don't remember what this is in reference to, but reminds me of Quincy Jones. I stepped in for him once. The bassist he'd hired turned out to be a Clarge Neon Death Vokbot. What was worse, he couldn't play. This is very interesting. Vokbots from Robots of Death, a serial we recently reviewed oh, on wow. Back When, cool. a fourth Doctor serial. Really good, by the way. It's the serial in which both Jim Cakes and I basically fell in love with a robot on screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though it was hopeless musically. Platonically, Marie, don't worry. Platonically. Is this the one you were doing the <laughs> <Yeah>. other night? <laughs> I'm sorry? Is this the one that you were doing the other night? No, uh, no, this, this was is a while ago. Jim was a... doing something else the other night. Don't look into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a this was a fourth Doctor serial. Oh, okay. I uh, hope the, the other night you heard Jim practicing his fourth Doctor impression. Ah, that must be it. Yeah, <laughs> probably that. <laughs> Eliza was played by Mariah Gale. Okay, who I recognised because she played Officer Beth in "I May Destroy You." Wait, who's Officer Beth? Officer Beth is one of the less than helpful police women who are following up on the oh, assault case. Right, yeah. It's and a really good show, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't recognize her from that. Okay, interesting. And most of the other time, she, she's doing stage work and Shakespeare. She's in The Hollow Crown, which I'm going to get round to watching in lockdown seven or eight, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Not if there's no math, no lockdown party when you own. 
Oh yeah, like oh, I didn't vote for them. Uh, oh yeah, the well, you know, shit. What were they called now? The Freedom Alliance. Ugh. <laughs> Into lockdown. No more masks. Hashtag. Yeah. We mean inside. <laughs> I mean, we did say fuck you, finders keepers. I would also like to say fuck you, Freedom Alliance. <laughs> You utter, utter bastards. Please just, everyone, wear a mask for the love of all that is pure. Get vaccinated. Don't believe these imbeciles. I would only say that I've talked about the Scooby gang is a little anonymous, but I really like the guy who played Paul, the guy who was interested in Bill. Oh, right. Yes. Marie, you nodded. Yeah, I think he had a certain charm about him. And it was really sweet that he was like, you know, a l- like a little bit hitting on her, but not not in a gross way. And then she got to do the really cool, like, actually, I normally prefer girls. And it was quite an understated moment, but it was really nice. I liked his reaction to that. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, fine. Well, obviously, I can't compete with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, problem solved. That was really, really quite, it, like, it was very nicely dealt with, in a sense. But I also like, thought, the- don't hit on the woman that you've literally just met and are about to live with. That's not cool. Yeah, that's not how you do it. Oh, no. such a rookie mistake. <laughs> oh, no. You've signed a contract. You're in this house for a year. <laughs> yeah. Don't have a one-night yeah, stand. You're in the same corridor. Yeah. <laughs> Question. The other chap, as in the other chap who isn't Pavel, is that Harry? Yes. So there's another piece of trivia about him, that he was originally meant to be the grandson of Harry Sullivan. Harry Sullivan was a fourth Doctor companion. Ooh. Oh, right. And and apparently, well, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that... Uh, earlier drafts of the script indicated this to some degree like is this to do with bill calling the doctor grandfather which resonated with me after we spent so long looking at susan's picture in the first episode of this series were they gonna make something out of that Okay, here's the thing from IMDb and or TARDIS Wikia. In an interview for Doctor Who magazine, writer Mike Bartlett indicated that Harry was intended to be the grandson of companion Harry Sullivan. But the reference was cut. A possible remnant of this has Harry being partnered up with the Doctor for part of the episode. There is also a dialogue reference made to Harry's grandfather and his boyfriend stealing a piece of the Great Wall of China, which is the thing that I thought Mm. was absolutely charming. However, it is not clear whether this refers to Harry Sullivan or another grandparent. Yeah, I mean, in my head, he is now Harry Sullivan's grandkid. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Harry was awesome. All right. Good. Yeah, he was great. Harry was basically brought on as kind of a James Bondy character. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay, we have talked about the soundscape of this episode and how it's everywhere and it's claustrophobic and it's oppressive. So my question to you is, is the music in this episode great or is it a little much? Oh. I really liked it. I mm, Is it too much? No, it's perfect because... The first time <laughs> David Suchet came on screen. And I, oh, I wish I could and remember like, the context. Oh my goodness, it's David Suchet, it's Poirot, I love him. <laughs> um, yeah. But there was a little like, like, <laughs> doop, 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 like the music did this like little plinky thing. And it was quite a high pitched plinky thing. And it just, and I think it was as he was like turning away to like walk off off stage or whatever but um and yeah and it was just like oh he's a bad guy <laughs> like because he was really friendly and charming at first and he was just like oh i've got a house for you come and live with me this will be nice and then the music <laughs> yes no oh are you looking for a place to live i just happen to have the perfect <laughs> one 
But yeah, so I, like, I want to know what the contract said, by the way, because apparently the terms are crystal clear and completely binding. No one read this. It's only a page. What have they signed up to? <laughs> they only need one night, so it's not. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. Sorry, carry Yet on. Yet somehow it demands a deposit. Hmm? I, mean, I mean, they've just met. He somehow demands a deposit. They've had time to transfer said deposit to him. This is the thing how I said how... in the beginning. It's quite, it, it, to do all this in one day is unfathomable. Yeah. yeah. It's like he's leaving this plan, or possibly the woodlice are leaving this plan until the very last moment. Like, they've had 20 years to consume some people. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you, you have 20 years to eat six humans... And right before it's dinner time, you're like, oh, shit, I've got nothing in my pantry. Like, the kitchen cupboards are freaking empty. <laughs> There's that one jar of capers that I don't know what to do with. <laughs> with anything. <laughs> but I've got nothing else. So, wait, so Is you'd it rather... Pasada? No. A couple yeah, capers of and baking ago. soda, that's a meal, right? Capers... <laughs> Exactly. Um, so you'd rather a couple of years ago he went and and got a bunch of students and then kept them in the cellar and fed them and kept them alive down there until the lice were How hungry. Was a yeah, I mean, basically, he shouldn't wait twenty years. He should maybe do this every nineteen years. <laughs> yeah, and let them live there for a year first. No, just like eat them after nineteen years. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> risk getting attached to them. Also, he's missed the start of term because Harry knows who the doctor is. He's been going to lectures. This is weeks into the term. He should have done this at the start of the year before these students built up a social network and people would ask where they were if they started to disappear or disappeared all at once abruptly overnight well this was uh, to be honest this is my biggest beef with this episode is how the heck do six people go missing every 20 years and nobody's come knocking on this guy's door they've all signed contracts they've all said to their previous landlords or families or whoever oh, mom, I'm moving out. I'm going to go and live in that big creepy house down the road and then <laughs> never been heard from again. Why Why has there never been an investigation? Yeah, this episode relies on you never having encountered the concept of a forwarding address. But it's all right. There's no, <laughs> there's no signal. So they just tried to call the house and nobody picked up. It's, you know, it's not their fault. Yeah, also the house doesn't have a number. So the postman doesn't know what it is or where it is. To him, it's just a big empty structure. Yeah. all the bills are handled via direct debits there's never a reason for anyone knock on the door to knock on the door i mean in the 60s they were probably they were all hippies they just went you know went off exploring and never came back in the 90s everyone's on drugs i don't know there's reasons why it's just like really into uh, students just go missing yeah yeah. Well, I, I read a BBC article, this is a, on a grander scale, a few months ago that said it's possible hundreds of thousands of people have left the UK since the start of lockdown, and we just don't know. Because yeah. on that sort of macro level, the understanding of who is where and not knowing exactly how many people you don't know are in the country, are in the country, you know, the known knowns and the unknown unknowns and all that sort of thing, it's like... Actually, you can overlook an enormous number, but it's, it's when it gets specific. It's like, there's six people. They have families. It's yeah. not like they're all orphans. That's the and thing, no one yeah. Orphans them. And every 20 years... I mean, this would this. Uh, I'm thinking of it. Doesn't that happen like every twenty years? Oh, does it? I've only seen the. I've not read the book, and I've only seen the Tim Curry version. Mm, okay, maybe not. Maybe that doesn't work. 
But I, I don't know. I feel like people understand. Like they 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 get that something is amiss with the town, and that people recognise the patterns. I mean, it's fiction, so I don't know why I'm. <laughs> <laughs> holding it up as an example <laughs> but we're saying people would notice i think you're right i think six students every 20 years would be well it's not, it's only been three times though because it's only been going for 70 years so maybe this was the time when there would have been a pattern and people would have paid attention but it got cancelled yeah maybe he just feeds a story to the local paper oh no there was another terrible automobile mishap on my road last night and these six darling ute were uh, unfortunately all decapitated <laughs> can't can't be identified there are no remains but I, yeah I they weren't just decapitated they were decapitated and then their heads just spontaneously combusted no <laughs> yes. way of identifying them and by the way a representative of finders keepers is here to say that <laughs> nothing to see here it's all right move along i bet maybe he burns down the house after he's got rid of them all and then it's like oh no the bodies were burnt there's no evidence left and then the little woodlouse things rebuild it back from scratch oh that's so that's devious marie yeah <laughs> it's, an, a it's a big old wooden house it's a big old wooden house with no central heating that relies on gas heating like o- little oil lamps of course it's going to burn down on average every 20 years that's not anything suspicious yeah yeah it's like exactly. a thatched cottage on steroids <laughs> <laughs> okay i started all this with the thought that the music in some cases was a little much i didn't need to be told everything like marie said like this guy he's the bad guy he's the bad guy and this room (laughs) it's the creepy room (laughs) it was a bit leading in that regard but at the same time sound was used so well in this episode there are really if you were to listen to the soundtrack and focus on it there are really weird noises being made like this is a very unconventional soundscape but it all fits it all fits wonderfully to the point that you are surprised when you focus on it and realize just what a weird sound you focused on (laughs) so i'll give i'll give murray gold that however there is one thing there is one thing one final thing one final negative so i can claim to have been balanced when you hear my ridiculously high Wait, rating you're gonna later end on, on a negative so that i can claim to have been balanced when you hear my ridiculously high rating in a few moments fine okay he likes to keep you guessing oh, leon yeah <laughs> clearly this was, this was all acting i actually do hate it i think can we get two sound bites they are at, potentially they are at 10 minutes 40 ish uh-huh. and 15 minutes 50 ish they're the scuttly sound where the wood lights are running in the wood the first time Harry is explaining to the rest of the room that he heard this weird sound and this scuttling sound comes on and he's like, what's that? And then later at 1550, it goes and he's like, that's the sound. And I just want to hear <laughs> if the sound is exactly the fucking same. <laughs> if so, <laughs> then that's a minus. Oh. Okay, here we go. 1040, 1550. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm so right. <laughs> Uses a blick of <laughs> Oh my goodness, that cocktail looks so nice, Marie. Yes, it's a wow. That you can't fake that Europeanness. That is a continental <laughs> cocktail. Look at that glass. That glass is so incredibly sophisticated. Every time we oh. use these glasses, you comment on them. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings. La. 
There isn't a spare or off moment in this episode for me because I could watch Peter Capaldi, David Suchet, and yes, even Pearl Mackey for days. Scrub the even, Pearl Mackey, days. (laughs) Sign me up. The only problem is, as I said, Bill doesn't react enough to her housemates being in danger. I don't massively care about any of the friends because they're all written as amiable and maybe Felicity's a bit more claustrophobic than the others, but that's it. On the other hand, it is nice that they're restored. I was happy with that. Maybe I feel about them more than I realised. And I'd have liked to see a 70s version of the Scooby Gang released from the walls, stinking of weed, where it turns out one of them is a talking (laughs) dog, and then perhaps I'd understand the landlord's prohibition on pets. Mike Bartlett, Mr. One-Off, please come back because you nailed the Doctor. You nailed how his overriding feature is pursuing an investigation and just not caring how weird it looks to everyone else, but just with laser-like focus carrying on regardless. And then they catch Doc in the cupboard with his Sonic on, and the Sonic keeps whistling away for exactly the same length of time a sitcom granddad would take to pull up his pants if we accidentally came blundering into the bathroom it's it's beautiful we're being drip fed clues about the occupant of the vault and it's nothing but positive obvious comparison but it's way better than the crack it's just bringing me joy at this point the Mm-mm. landlord's jacket perfectly matches the walls it's a wooden colored jacket i mean i'm just splooging out a list of good things harry and paul proper screaming from both when the stair closes on harry's leg perhaps the visual could look better but he couldn't sound any better he does an amazing job of being engulfed by mutant alien wood lice and then towards the end of the episode it does get weightier what's the point of surviving if you never see anyone we could ask ourselves after the last year we are living 2017 playwrights nightmares missing new friends and fireworks it cuts deep in summary this episode is not some canon extending epic that will change the Doctor Who universe forever. But considering its scale, it is almost the perfect expression of a creepy haunted house episode. They mention creepy dolls and giant spiders, those students near the beginning. And you think to yourself, thank goodness we have neither because this episode, the way it is, it's amazing. 4.7. Wait, sorry, 4.7? You heard me correctly. (laughs) Right, okay, 4.7 from Drew. Higher or lower, higher or lower? (laughs) Holy moly. Okay, yeah, uh, Marie, do you want to go next? Uh, I would love to go next. Um, So uh, something you just said actually made me think about it in a way that I hadn't before. And you said this single-mindedness and his obsession, the Doctor's obsession with like solving the mystery and the investigation. And it's so true, and we see it every week. But... What we usually see is that the companion is completely along with them as well, and they get obsessed and they want to find it out. But this time around, it's people that Bill knows that are in the episode with them. And not only people that she knows, but people that she doesn't know yet that well and is trying to make a good first impression on. And so it's a completely different dynamic than we usually have because she's so embarrassed by him. And it is this behavior that in any other situation, he is commanding, he walks into a room, he starts ordering people about, he starts, you know, poking at the walls and 
flashing his sonic screwdriver around and, and popping up in unexpected places. And it's just what the Doctor does. But if you put that in a situation where, like, we've all been there. We've lived in shared houses as students. Imagine moving into a house and your weird old uncle is there prodding and poking and asking all these questions. You would be mortified. Um, and so I think it's a really nice, like, way of showing a completely different side of the Doctor and their relationship, which is just lovely. I think mm-hmm. both the Doc and Bill are fantastic as usual. I really, yeah, enjoyed them all. I love David Suchet. I thought he was like like a sweet old man and then a really creepy stalkery guy and then going back to this fragile broken boy at the end it was like he had this wealth of range and i believed every persona that he put on you did really feel at the end like i think again you do were saying like it's so you you know who's the bad guy the bad guy is the one who killed a bunch of people to keep his mum alive but the way that it's done you can't help but start to sympathize with him and kind of really realize that maybe the you know it's not the good thing to do but at least you understand him and that's a really hard thing to get us to sympathize with a serial murderer so yeah this has that effect as well the sets look gorgeous the music was phenomenal the sound effects were really interesting i really enjoyed it and another thing sorry drew i'm just nicking all of your points today (laughs) steal away (laughs) but you know what i think you started off this by saying like i watched it four times and enjoyed it as much the fourth time and i think that does show a lot because normally i get really swept up in an episode and i love 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 it the first time i watch it and then the the second time around you're like oh okay they could have done this differently maybe they should have blah 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 and there's always critiques and there definitely are critiques for this one you know the plot with the house makes no sense the motive for the creatures killing you know there's things that we've already discussed so you know it's not a perfect episode by any means but i think reviewing it today with you guys and kind of talking about all these really like kind of the deeper meanings behind the relationships and 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 how you can kind of sorry drew i can just see your faces it's so excited it's not gonna be as high as Drew's, but you've definitely 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 pulled me up from where i was at the start of this episode and i think i would happily 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 watch it again with this discussion in mind and probably get more out of it the second time which i think is very rare for a doctor who episode i think they don't generally get better on that many rewatches so yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a little bit higher than i would have initially i'm gonna give it a 4.3 oh very nice yeah huge heart huge yeah pretty dang big Oh my goodness. All right. Leon, it makes me cry every single time. What can you say in response to that? Exactly. Uh, I have two questions for you guys. One, how on earth am I the one who is giving this the lowest rating? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. David Suchet (laughs) Stalker. Your, your, no, your singular complaint was not enough sushi. You can't give it less not than sushi. I've already written down a rating. I've written down a rating, and I I, I cannot believe that it is not as high as 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 you guys. You just as, got as, used as to these ratings. ninety minute Poirot episodes. It's not Doctor Who's fault. It's half oh, the length. So good though, you know. They're so good. Even the ones that are ninety minutes. The ones that are like forty five minutes. Mm, perfect. Okay. Uh, that's question one. Question two for you guys is really fresher parties have fireworks i don't remember any of those parties 
Were you invited to those parties? I was not invited to those parties. It's possible that I went to fresher parties and then went back home after those fresher parties and then I looked out the window and there were fireworks outside and I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe that's just a coinkydink. Maybe someone else has fireworks. I don't remember going to a fresher party where they had fireworks. Definitely not a thing. So apparently that's a thing in this universe. You've but it doesn't matter. The freshest party in Bristol, clearly. <laughs> yeah, different world entirely. <laughs> In the Doctor Who universe, they can launch the fireworks from all the blimps and airships. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It doesn't even matter to me because at the top of the list, on my list of, here are just like random impressions of this episode, but not quite so random, not so random as not to have a top entry into this random list, is Poirot is in this one. And it makes me incredibly happy, so incredibly satisfied. I am enthralled by the presence of David Sushi, and we will get back to this being a negative as well. Anywho, what a fantastic episode. I'm entirely on board with what you guys are saying. Here's a question that I kind of wanted to ask you guys, but it, and, and uh, we didn't discuss this, but the fact that Bill encounters this issue, that the fact that she moves into a house that has weird alien, you know, space wood lice that are taking over people that every 20 years, yada, 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 this whole thing. Is that something that just anyone in Bristol encounters, or is is it that companions of the Doctor are somehow more prone to have their lives turned into alien and slash or paranormal mayhem than anyone else? Effectively, would this have happened to Bill were she not traveling with the doc? Th- this is a question that I really want answered, and I we I never asked this. I really wanted to ask this. <gasps> Marie, you've got a hand up. I think if you're traveling with the doc and you uh, encounter alien species, you're more likely, much more likely to survive to tell the tale. But whereas all these, you know, people who go missing and found up, you know, found drowned in lakes or whatever, how do you know that they didn't have an alien encounter, but there was no doctor around to save them? Oh my goodness. Goodness, I love that as an explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Exemplified by the previous groups of tenants who didn't survive. Exactly. <gasps> exactly, yes. Oh, God, I love that. <laughs> okay, Vum, tabla rasa, Doc. <laughs> He is charming, empathetic, and ingenious. There are moments in his performance that really make me relate to this doctor and really make me feel for this doctor and, and, and love him as the, the, the perfect incarnation of this character. There's, there's an element, sorry, there's one scene in particular that I've made a note of, and that is when it seems as though all hope is lost. Everyone has seemingly died or, you know, been ingested by these creatures. But oh my goodness, does the doctor not ask if Bill is okay? Because that, that's that's number one for him. That is his top priority. It just perfectly cements your, your beliefs in his powers of empathy. I love that. I said, Doc, charming, empathetic, and ingenious. Here, here are three words to define Bill. Charming, empathetic, ingenious. <laughs> she solves the conundrum. She is the one who figures out that there's a time difference here. Wait, hang on, 70 years have passed, but this guy hasn't aged one bit. He's not made of wood. She is the person. She is the one to actually solve this problem for the reader, for the viewer. By the way, I had not figured it out. I had forgotten about that relationship, that dynamic between mother and son slash father and daughter, Poirot versus Woodlady. My mind was blown when that's ha- that happened. As for the other housemates, who gives a crap about them? I, I, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, Agreed. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Poirot, with the possible exception of Paul McGann, Derek Jacobi, and Roger Delgado, ne'er has more talent being recorded on celluloid. And as I said before, the only negative that I have to, that I really have to express about this episode, that there wasn't enough of him. His uh, appearance was inappropriately short. Exactly. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. But how can I possibly fault this for that? The only lesson that I have to learn from this serial, from this episode, is don't move to bloody Bristol because there's a piece of property there that is just destined to try to kill anyone that goes near it. For ambience, top marks. For plot, uh, middling. For production value, oh my goodness, off the charts, pretty decent, very, very good. In general, let's see here, Drew, you gave this 4.7. Marie, you gave this, what, 4.3? I've written down (laughs) (laughs) 4.2. Oh, well, we're fine then. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that we are because I really felt that I was higher than that. <laughs> In relation to you guys' ratings, I really felt that I was going to give this a way more generous mark. I haven't. 4.2. Come join us up here. <laughs> Um, I, I want to add that I didn't mention in my review, but just the fear when Bill's in the room at the end with, and the little critters are coming and she's just seen her best friend being dissolved by them and they're coming for her and she's climbing yeah. up onto that wooden box and you know they can eat that box. Like, I was genuinely okay, scared you're right. that she was going to get eaten and there would be no more Bill. And that doesn't happen very often in a Doctor Who episode. I think it was, it, yeah, it was so good. Yeah, slash, it's, it's a wooden box that she's standing on. Exactly. Or a wooden piece of furniture. I mean, th- these these creatures live inside wood. She the might entire, be climbing on to the antagonist. The entire room is wood. She's on a wooden box in a wooden, on a wooden floor, in oh, wooden no. panels. Like, there's nowhere to hide. And all the shutters are, are you know, barred shut. It's yeah, it's so tense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. I stand by. <laughs> I stand by my four point three. <laughs> we have a couple of listener minis in our inbox. Do you think they're going to agree with us? Oh my goodness! Definitely. I bloody hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if not, go home and watch it again. <laughs> and then a third and a fourth time. <laughs> yeah. See how many times you cry. <laughs> listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. First up, we have the marvelous Kieran Evans. Hi, Kieran. What up, Kieran? Hi, Kieran. Whoop whoop. And Kieran begins. Hi, folks. A creepy man offers you somewhere to stay, and you accept. Seriously, dumb moves from these rookie students. Always meet the previous tenants if you can. Lol. That is sound advice, <laughs> Kieran. I have never done that. <laughs> no, nor I ever. <laughs> <laughs> After three introductory episodes, present, future, past, we get a more regular one with a creepy old house with a creepy old man, a.k.a. the landlord. David Suchet in Doctor Who, yes. Yeah, he's a creepy bugger, isn't he, in a very different role to what we normally expect from Poirot. This one definitely comes across as a joke on the UK student housing market, especially thinking of the pre-title sequence. Fortunately, I think it doesn't become too overblown with its references. I do like the sleep ones from Doctor not needing it unless it's after regeneration. All of them, really. Or a big lunch. You haven't got to that one yet. Ooh, looking forward to it. (laughs) Kieran continues. What person? Bit more convincing than that Narnia one, thank God. 
also nice that it's Bill that thinks of the 70 years issue when the landlord is claiming to be the father, said Kieran, very much like Marie. I like when companions are shown to be thinking and aware of things like this. I assume it's only the most recent tenants that are released as the others have been digested over the years. Quite a lot like I said, Kieran. A bit more clarification in the script would have been nice there. Also, fairly decent effects for the wood lice and the stuck-in-the-wood body. Mm -mm. And Kieran rounds off. I like this. It works fairly well as a haunted house plot, but isn't anything really special. And he gives it a... 3.3 3.3 out of 5. Oh, Kieran. Oh, we're going to have Always to hang over this one, Kieran. Always keeping us on our toes, Kieran. <laughs> hey, peeps, I'm really, really conscious that, that we need to take care of the environment. I want to trade in my old diesel guzzling van for <laughs> one that takes care of the environment to a greater degree. Where might I go to find a better alternative? We're so sorry, Kieran. (laughs) (laughs) This has got so way out of hand. Why, Leon, you can find electronic vans at knockdown prices on Twitter at KJEvans2. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Kieran. (laughs) Kieran, not sorry at all. You the man. You were going to call him the man with the vans, weren't you? <gasps> I wasn't, oh. but now I will. Henceforth. Well, you're just adding yes. to the problem, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, thank you very much for your mini. Good stuff. Excellent stuff as always. Mm-hmm. Who's next? Why, it's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hey, Andy. What ho, gang? What ho, Andy? And Andy begins with a joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Doctor. (laughs) Doctor who? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, Andy. (laughs) That joke stands up better than the plot in this story. Andy! (laughs) And it's such a shame because it features some cracking performances from Capaldi, Mackie and the supporting cast, not least David Suchet, who, playing the creepy landlord, is possibly the best guest star to ever appear in New Who. His performance is brilliant. Nice. Andy adds a list of likes. First like, David Suchet. Just brilliant. Next up, Doc is onto the landlord from the start. And Eliza's costume. Andy then moves on to a list of boobs. First, boobs. Why do the bugs turn Eliza into wood but consume everything else? How do they then pass on the energy to Eliza? Yeah, uh, fair questions. (laughs) It's all about wood conductivity. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Xylem and phloem? Something like that. (laughs) Why does the landlord not know who the PM is? He must read the paper slash watch TV slash leave the house. Must he, Andy? Must he? Must you be so prescriptive? I mean, we've they didn't have barely TV left our ago. house. Uh, sorry, Marie? They didn't have TV 70 years ago. Maybe just never got around to buying one. Fine, but they do have me- they do have TVs when this episode takes place. And for the past year, we've barely left our houses. And, and you've totally forgotten who the We PM know is. who governs our respective countries. I've tried to. <laughs> and why... <sighs> Is Bill trying to distance herself from Doc so readily? I get it's for comedic effect, but it doesn't sit right. Yes. Yep. Mm. With you, Andy. 
Next, Boof. how come the other housemates are suddenly brought back to life? It totally pulls the rug out from under the entire episode. Also, what about the other missing tenants? Yeah, it, see, it, see Kieran's review above. <laughs> <laughs> Slash our conversation of uh, an hour ago. <laughs> Andy concludes, overall, despite a great setup to the story, it fails to deliver. I wonder if Hinchcliffe slash Holmes had had the opportunity to do this story, it might have ended up much better. It is saved somewhat by the performances by the leads and Suchet, but nonetheless, even they can't make it good enough. I award this 2.6 tuning forks out of 5. What was that that just crawled up your leg? Wait, 2.6? 2.6? Holy moly. Way to end on a low note. <laughs> Fantastic. Mini. Andy, you total legend. People who are not Andy, can they follow Andy on Twitter in some way? Well, I believe they can. He can be found at Caffrey71. That's 71. What, Drew? A Caffrey's. <laughs> 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 thanks andy thanks andy andy watch it again and listen to drew's review and try and drum up some some powerful tears let it all out <laughs> yeah it'll make you, <laughs> you might overlook, change your unable to see all those previous points that for the most part you're not that wrong i mean yeah valid points valid points all the way through <laughs> sobering necessary realistic points that the podcast land needed to hear <laughs> yeah that's fair dang right those are the minis that we've received not sure why we only have two uh, maybe we announced this at very short notice i think actually we did yeah sorry about that podcast land turns out podcast land on average uh, it appears does not agree with us <laughs> how do you guys feel about that i feel <sighs> like they still have huge hearts Certainly. Yeah. Why, of course they do. I have to say, I think I was closer to probably Kieran's review before coming into this episode. And it was your enormous heart, Drew, uh, and partially yours as well, Leon, <laughs> that pulled me up a bit. So maybe if if they'd have been here with I'll us today, it. we might have been able to convince them a little bit. Was it, was it the piteous image of me constantly weeping? <laughs> Yeah. I'll admit you, that you did just help. Have this episode yeah. on repeat. <laughs> <Leon>. Deposit. <laughs> it is, isn't it more that? Oh no! If if I'm too harsh, he's going to start crying again. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's a consideration. <laughs> I'm fully for emotional stories. I feel like if if a story can make you laugh or cry or scream or get angry or like if it can like pull a kind of bitter emotion from you then yeah like vincent and the doctor exactly oh no judo you'll make me cry <laughs> okay let's see what we've got coming up in the pipeline leon what are you and jim gonna be looking at next uh, week a very good question. Well, next week we are going to be discussing Time Flight, the very end of season 19 of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Very exciting uh, stuff. <laughs> I, I censored myself mid-sentence there. I was like, oh, wow. No, if I say that, I'm going to have to cut it out. I'm just going to go to stuff. What were you going to <laughs> Very exciting. Fucking shitballs, bastard. Trans stuff. <laughs> it had something to do with erections. I, I'm just not going to say it. <laughs> 
Tune in next uh, week, Podcast Land, to hear what Leon had to say. And after that, we return to the new Who with what, Drew? Oxygen. And after that, Marie, I do believe we have a bonus episode, uh, perhaps not right after the next new Who, but certainly very soon. What is the next bonus episode, Marie? Well, I believe it's called Strange Readings. The second Who Back When branded audio adventure starring uh, you. (laughs) Me, yours truly. If you want to hear me talking to myself for hours on end, tune in. (laughs) I'll have other, there'll be other people there probably. Lots of us. Lots of, about 70 of us. Yeah, there are seventy. There are seventy plus characters. Blooming heck! Yeah, big production. In the meantime, if people want to catch up with you guys, how can they get in touch with you, Drew? Why they can follow me on the Tweety Box at Drew Back When. Excellent branding. And how about you, Leon? Less excellent branding. Please do feel free to say hi to me online. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. High-five me online. I will high-five you right back. Unless you'll find us keepers, in which case, jog on. (laughs) (laughs) Or the no mask, no whatever party. You can jog on too. Uh, And yeah, and if you want to high-five me, I am on the Instagram. You can catch me at Hamas and Jelly. Mm, that was a thrill. No, three, three, my three. favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I would be delighted to say hello to you. Been yeah, wonderful cool. chatting with you guys, and you have been an adorable audience. We've loved having you. Keep on being rad and excellent to one another, and I love you. And goodbye. Toodle Pit Podcast Land. Wear a mask. Bye bye. Don't be an estate agent. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?